Welcome to the Fod Eater Fod Pass. <laughs> I love the idea of the 1980s games, and most of the characters I knew. I never saw the Belushi, the Belushi one, and I still haven't seen Goonies. So there's a lot of movies I still haven't seen, but most of them I knew. And I also like the kind of day that you had on Sunday, where you do a little, and then you rest a little, and you do a little, and you rest a little. Little yesterday, I moved the refrigerator out of the kitchen, and today I am doing a little and resting a little and doing a little and resting a little. Have a good week, Froth Whisk out. Hey, Froth Jason here, Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Really enjoying hearing about your upcoming game, and I look forward to hearing the reports. Like you say, the mechanics aren't going to be as interesting as hearing the, the interactions and how the characters, you know, react and and what they do with the setting. One thing you mentioned, comedy games. I'm going back and listening to RPG a Day entries from Free Thrall over at um, Keep Off the Borderlands. And, you know, one of the things came up in there is he talks about the old game Paranoia and, you know, how tough and a couple call-ins came in about that game and how that's a tough game to run because it's a dedicated comedy setting, right? Or dark That's dark comedy, but still it's a forced comedy where, like you say, normally the characters bring the comedy if it's a game that that's supposed to be a comedy game, sometimes it's really hard to do. So I think you have a healthy approach to that. I look forward to hearing how that works out for you. Hey, Froth, how you doing, mate? Just listen to another awesome blogorama. Every week I tell myself I've got to get over there and check out all that stuff, but I, I rarely scratch the surface. There's just, there's just so much stuff there. But you're doing a sterling job, sir. And I'm really looking forward to hearing about your 80s game. I'm wondering whether you're going to do the thing where one of your role players in the group is playing a role player in the game amidst the uh, satanic panic. You know, the the role player, role playing the role player. <laughs> hey, Froth. It's the Mysterious Brother here. Um, just call in to wish you luck on your your new game you're starting soon. Um, Savage Worlds is a pretty good system. Um, hope you enjoy it, man. Uh, the setting sounds pretty cool. Uh, sounds like you've got it planned out pretty well, and uh, y'all are going to have some fun. Uh, excited to hear how it all goes. Um, yeah, man, keep rolling. What is up, everybody? How are you doing? And it's Froth here, Thought Eater Podcast. Hope you're doing well. Thanks for listening. Uh, yeah really excited about this show to talk to y'all about the first session of my new froth university campaign that we ran last night you just heard from a a bunch of uh, legendary world-renowned anchorites podcast here on anchor including ivy the happy whisk uh mysterious brother tyler m from a 20-sided life jason from nerds rpg variety cast and colin green from the incomparable Spike Pit podcast there. All kind of making reference to this new campaign that I've been kind of just hyping up and, and been in, I've just been in anticipation of for the last few weeks. You know, I've been talking about it. And the basic idea is this. My uh, D&D campaign, I just kind of hit a wall and we were kind of in the grindy, kind of grind zone. And I didn't want that campaign to die. I fully intend to go back to it, but I, I want to do something to kind of breathe a little life into the gaming group. Give us a break from that. And so <clears throat> I'd recently picked up the new Savage Worlds Adventure Edition from a Kickstarter, and I'd been sitting on this East Texas University campaign setting 
for a while uh, that I really wanted to run. It's like a kind of horror light Scooby-Doo-ish sort of thing set at, uh, set at a um, university. And so I decided to kind of switch it up and run a kind of a mini campaign with this. And when I say mini campaign, it's probably going to be still, you know, 16 to 20 sessions, something like that. So it's not exactly short, but um, it's not a, you know, indefinite never ending thing like a lot of D and D games or other campaigns could be. And anyway, it's set in the, I set it in the eighties. Um, cause I wanted to utilize a lot of eighties media and comedies and music and, you know, classic youth comedies, college and high school type comedies from that era into the game to make sure that it, uh, it was kind of unique and, um, had that kind of, you know, fun flavor to it of my youth and everything. And so, um, anyway, they get, the game starts in 1982 with the characters as college freshmen. And, um, so we're going to talk about that today and I'll go ahead and tell you all spoiler alert, had a great time. It was super fun. And you know how you can tell if you had a great game is, uh, if you're, thinking about it right after, you know, you're already kind of planning for your next session, not 10 minutes after you have the, you know, not 10 minutes after you finish. And when you, when you wake up and you're already excited to play again and you can't wait for the week to go by, that's how, you know, you had a great session. That's, that's that, <clears throat> that magical feeling from an RPG. I think when you really just can't wait to game again, was it perfect? No, there are definitely things I can learn from and do better. And, uh, Speaking of that, you know, I just did a um, podcast on Friday, if you haven't checked it out, about uh, where GMs sharing what they consider to be their greatest weaknesses or things they can work on. And I had a bunch of call-ins from, from Anchorites and uh, a bunch of comments on social media that, that I discussed. And, you know, one of the things that came up with that uh, that a number of GMs mentioned is something they can work on. It's kind of the pacing at the table. You know, the pacing of the game. And so that is something that's going to be really interesting, already is, with, with this new game, is the pace. Because when I'm playing d and I'm very much in the mode of, uh, you know, the classic Gygax quote. You know, you can't have a meaningful campaign if you know, strict time records aren't kept and all that. And I'm very much in that mold uh, with D&D. You know, I... I have a calendar. I go day to day. I'm checking weather. I don't hand wave travel. It's all kind of meticulous. And if we do skip ahead, even like three days, it's a, it's kind of an oddity, you know, it's not typical. It's typically day to day in this game. It doesn't work that way. It's probably, you know, four or five sessions max, you know, for one entire, you know, year, year of this, of school. So, the vast amount of the time, you know, during a school year, the, the players aren't on some, you know, wild, spooky adventure or anything like that. They're just going to school and all this kind of stuff that you're just kind of hand-waving as time passing and everything. Now, what that allows you to do is to give the game a real cinematic quality. Because most movies, unless you're talking about something like Birdman, where it's following somebody for every minute of every day in one shot, or, you know, I don't know if you all have ever seen that wasn't a super amazing movie, but it was cool the way that they, they did that. Um, 
this is more episodic, like like a movie where you know something happens, time passes, the boring stuff you're not seeing. It's just kind of jumping around a little bit. And so working to capture that, I think, was interesting and will be interesting going forward. So talk a little bit about that. And then the other thing that really, really kind of jumps out in my mind from it already is the use of music. So I talked about this in some of the other Farth University um, podcasts, but, you know, in D&D, I don't usually utilize music during my sessions. I find just a background drone of music to be pretty distracting as a GM. There were times that I would use it for humor's sake, like the Benny Hill Yakety Sax theme. I play sometimes when the players would run away. Um, and then there have been times like in Curse of Strahd where I'll play Strahd as Frankenfurter from from Rocky Horror. So there'd be some Rocky Horror music utilized at, at a couple of moments, you know, just for comedy's sake. But by and large, I'm not using any kind of just dramatic background music or sound effects and things like that, even though as a player, I've kind of enjoyed that at some other people's tables. It's just not something I've done because I do find it a little bit distracting as a GM. Well, here, I really wanted to use music to bring the time period to life. And the 80s had just such idiosyncratic, wonderful music. It was that kind of time period where you couldn't just, you know, now you can just choose what you want to listen to all the time. You have choice on the I can choose what I want to watch streaming. I can really fine tune exactly what I want to listen to on, uh, you know, satellite radio or um, Pandora or whatever, you know, these kind of services. Whereas, you know, back then you listen to the radio, you're going to get the, you know, the Casey Case and Top 40 or whatever, you know, it's, it wasn't as specialized, you know, and broken down into genre with the, with the radio and stuff, you know. And so you had this huge variety of music all thrown together. And, you know, you might hear a whole bunch of really different, wildly different kinds of music, you know, back to back to back and see that all kind of as popular music. So with this game, as they move through the years, I wanted to use music exactly from that year. So as we're starting in 1982, I'm using music just released in 1982. And so like 15 minutes before the game, I had built a playlist of some 80s music to just have it running as the players, you know, get onto the table and everything. And and so, you know, it was like Olivia Newton-John's Physical and uh, Rosanna from Toto and... Um, uh, let's see, Chicago, uh, hard to say I'm sorry, <laughs> what a great song that is, God, that, that early mid-80s Chicago, Peter Cetera and all that, I love that stuff, and so the players were already, I think, or I know, at least a couple of them were already kind of laughing and kind of feeling a little excitement just hearing the 80s music, just the anticipation leading into the game, so I thought that, that was really awesome, and so the whole campaign starts the players have gotten a welcome letter from east texas university uh, that indicates you know the first day they'll be checking into their dorms and they'll also be um, going to a freshman orientation at the kind of gymnasium of the college called the roost 
the East Texas University mascot is is a raven. So uh, the the you know the gem is referred to as the roost, and it was really important to me to try to spend as little time as possible on briefing them on the rules and then come up with an interesting way to bring their characters in. Now, on the last um, Froth University podcast, I talk about, I go more into depth about each of the player characters. I'm going to talk about that a little bit here, just so new listeners, or if you're listening to these or need a refresher or whatever, so you can picture what the, who the characters were. But um, um, I, I spent just a couple of minutes talking about the basics of the rules. And one of the great things I think um, about the way that this is set up for me is that if I was playing the Savage Worlds at a face-to-face table, I would have had to get a lot, a lot more um, descriptive and detailed about the rules. But because we're playing online, this automated sheet they've got on there does so many calculations and rolls and stuff for you. It's so wonderful because I can really just say, know click this button rather than having to explain the in and outs of what dice you need and what happens when this happens and everything and so that they can learn that as they go but the character sheet's doing a lot for them at the beginning and that i can't tell you how much time you know that that's that's such a time saver so um it's one of those times where you know i think a lot of people say they'd much rather play face to face than than online and and i get that because you know, you can see each other's faces and interaction is, you know, the interaction can be a little bit better when you're face to face and just the feeling of actually rolling the dice and I get all that. But in this situation, it was a real benefit to be playing online and have so much of the rules kind of taken care of uh, by the sheet. Um, so kind of burned through that real quick and gave them a cheat sheet and just got them to where they kind of could navigate their sheet a little bit, you know? And then I wanted to bring the players in and I wanted this again to be really cinematic. I don't want to spend too much time on each player. I didn't want to do the thing where it's so common that it'll say, okay, tell me about your character. You move on to the next person and introduce your characters that way. I did not want to do that at all. I wanted to not only introduce their characters to each other, in a different way, but I also wanted to introduce them to their own specific abilities in a different way too. So I just started up, uh, some, some music. I think it was, uh, survivors eye of the tiger, you know, and, uh, and it's the, you know, start the first day of school picture on like a movie, everybody's arriving at, you know, at the school and all of them, except for Barbara, who's like kind of the rich, preppy stuck up girl we'll get to her in a minute the rest of the characters are all arriving at kind of the rundown dorm uh the 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 co-ed dorm kind of the party dorm that that uh has seen better days should have been renovated you know 20 years ago and it's kind of the cheapest dorm on campus and so i have the play you know the characters arriving so i start with seymour Seymour Scroggins, who's a, just an ultra nerd, you know, picture them like someone from Revenge of the Nerds, uh, and, um, you know, heavy glasses, clumsy, all this kind of stuff. They drive a, a, a Yugo, you know, <laughs> one of the worst cars of all time. And they've got the, one of the things in the game is if you have a car in this 
in, in East Texas University, it, it'll have some kind of glitch, something kind of wrong with it. And so I start with, you know, it's, it's ends up, uh, the glitch for there you go is to have really bald tires, you know, so it can barely stay on, on the road. And, and so they're trying to make their way in. They already kind of got bad eyesight and they end up having to stop really quickly and the car slides and bangs into somebody's motorcycle. Meanwhile, I've got another character that's based on Marty McFly, uh, Michael, Mc, uh, Michael McCooley. And they, you know, they're coming by on their skateboard at the same time. They're, they're from a local family. So they're kind of, uh, they kind of know Texas and know the town, but he's not, not nearly as well off as most people, you know, probably, um, only barely able to, you know, to afford to get in and doesn't have a car. So he's on a skateboard, just much like, you know, picture Marty McFly at the beginning of back to the future. And so Marty McFly sees Seymour, the nerd accidentally bumping this, this, uh, motorcycle and the nerd gets ripped out of his car by a huge guy. And I used a picture of, of, a Biff from 198 from, uh, back to the future. Right. And so he's calling him a nerd. He's about to punch him. And I knew that that would give, you know, immediately incentivize, uh, McCooley, you know, the Marty McFly character to step in, you know, I just knew that that would naturally happen. And that's what happened. You know, he steps in to try to prevent the nerd from getting hit they kind of square off and then I bring in the teacher professor, you know, principal Strickland or whatever the guy's name is. I believe that's his name from, you know, the bald principal from the black back to the future movies steps in to prevent a fight. And because McCooley, the McFly character is local to Texas. I, I make it to where Strickland knew his dad. And it's like, you're a slacker, just like your dad. You know, your dad was a terrible student. You know, I'm going to have my eye on you or whatever, you know? So a bummer of a day already kind of for both of them or whatever, but they, they, that's how the, the Marty McFly and nerd character kind of meet for a moment. And then I just stop it right there. I don't let it develop or them get in any big conversation. I just immediately switch, um, you know, switch the lens to an, another one of the characters and it's this Billy Campbell character. And so this one is a character that's kind of based loosely on the idea of like a Doogie Hauser or one of the characters in Revenge of the Nerds where it's a kid genius. It's an 11 year old. That's a like astrophysicist genius, youngest person ever to go to college in Texas. And, and so there's, a kind of minor media frenzy hubbub as they're taking pictures of them coming in and they've got one of their, um, drawbacks, their hindrances is that they're have really overprotective parents. And one of the really exciting things about Savage Worlds is if you have a hindrance, you have a drawback, a flaw, um, while it might hold you back in some situations by role-playing that flaw or having it come up, you actually get mechanical bonuses and re-rolls and stuff like that with it. So I really love that idea. It really incentivizes role-playing, especially role-playing that's kind of suboptimal in situations, you know, you know, you don't have to be heroic and, and perfect in situations. You, you play your flaws and it still helps you. So I think that's just brilliant. One of my favorite things about the game. So anyway, they've got these really over, he has these really overprotective parents that are telling him to be careful. And their mom's all worried. You know, there are people running, walking around the quad smoking dope and, you know, kind of scantily clad females and, 
you know, all this kind of, you know, bad influence on the 11 year old kid or whatever. And, um, at the same time, uh, I introduced Chewy Chawinski, who is kind of based on Blutarski from Animal House. And he kind of bumps into the mom and starts flirting with the mom. And he's got, you know, like mustard all over his shirt and everything. And, and, uh, so that kind of introduces them just a little bit, you know, you picture this is all just happening simultaneously, almost not really exactly like, like a montage, but it's just kind of a bunch of little cut scenes, you know, maybe while the credits are rolling on the movie, you know, the opening credits, you see this character, Nathaniel, that's based on Bro Matthew Broderick from war games a little bit. And he's pushing this cart with all this computer equipment towards the dorms, you know, so you see somebody that's, you know, the only guy on campus, maybe with a computer, you know. And then, uh, let's see, was that everybody so far? Two, three. Yeah, and then, so, and then all, you know, all this is happening simultaneously. And then I change the music and it's Jackson Brown, somebody's baby from, from uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, you know. She must be somebody's baby. She's, you know, I love that song, but I use it here to where all the, all of a sudden, you know, no matter what they were doing, the rest of them, all their heads turn and they see driving by slow motion and an Alfa Romeo spider. I introduced Barbara St. Clair, the other player's character. And she is a completely stuck up, ultra rich, ultra attractive, um, uh, you know, spoiled brat, you know, driving by in slow motion. And so you got to picture that music playing and everybody's laughing. And, uh, and she kind of based her character a little bit on Molly Ringwald from, from the breakfast club, at least the beginning of breakfast club, you know, and I've got to say, she, everybody did such a great job role playing their characters. It was so much fun. Like the nerd played the nerd to the hilt. She played the, the stuck up girl to the hilt. I mean, uh, Chewy Chawinski was constantly either drinking, pulling a, something out of his pants, you know, covered in mustard. And it was, it was, it was fantastic the way they played their characters. But so everybody's kind of automatically smitten by seeing this girl drive by. Now, I didn't think it made sense for her to, you know, be in the crappy dorm. So first she goes to the nice dorm that, you know, all girls dorm that, you know, the nicest on campus, very exclusive to check in, but she, she can't because there's been some kind of incident there and there's rumors of ghosts and other weird stuff. And so the only place that they can put her up is back at the, the co-ed, you know, party dorm. So she heads back and, um, the other kind of intro stuff that happens along with this, you know, she heads back to the dorm. She, runs into Seymour the nerd and 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 McCooley and and it's like ah get out of my way nerd and you know insults McCooley's vest and everything and she goes to check in and you know she's horrified by her lodgings and that she has to use a communal bathroom and all this it's very funny and meanwhile Nathaniel the the Matthew Broderick you know hacker type overhears a girl I use an avatar from Ali Sheedy from that movie, you know, she was his, his girlfriend in that in war games and, you know, she's having problems with her registration. So he's able to hack into the computer system and, and set her straight with the dorms and everything. So he's, 
you know, that gave him a chance to utilize one of his skills and kind of everybody to see how skill roll works. The only other thing I did really for an intro is uh, Chewy Chawinski has a, a hindrance, you know, a drawback where he's just a trouble magnet. And so I have this, one of the deans of students meet him as he's checking in. I use Dean Wormer, you know, from Animal House. Uh, and he's got a question about Chawinski's transcripts. He's questioning his uh, um, qualifications of even being at the school and says he's going to keep an eye on him and everything. So I end up pairing up some of them in dorm rooms and, and stuff like that. And so they're all, you know, kind of set now um, in their dorms and, so the the next they some of you know a couple of them meet each other by virtue of that, or just uh, have had a bad you know interaction with the other, and um, so we kind of cut ahead you know to that night you know the the uh, freshman orientation at at the roost and again in keeping with I'm using at whenever possible I'm going to use just avatars and images from from 80s movies and so the president of the school is speaking and I use John Houseman, you know, from paper chase, you know, that was a 1979 movie, but then they brought it back for a TV show for several seasons in the early eighties. And, um, I don't know if y'all can picture it. Some of y'all probably can, maybe if you can, he's just like a older guy who speaks very much like this, you know? And so he's droning on about the school and everything. And some of them start to notice odd things. Uh, like an administrator arguing with some um, some custodians about some weird graffiti that's been drawn on the walls. And uh, uh, Barbara St. Clair kind of slips. She makes a notice roll and fails. Like basically the way you kind of have a fumble in this game is that you roll two dice for pretty much everything. And if you roll a one on both of them, that's like a critical failure in this game and she has rolls a critical failure. So I have her just kind of slip and land in the Marty McFly character's lap, you know, he's kind of smitten with her and she's like disgusted. And, and so I play a little, uh, uh, I think I played like Christopher cross, you know, Arthur's theme once in your life, you'll find her. <laughs> and, uh, so she's like, ah, get the hell off me, you know? And, um, so they noticed that and the, 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 the president says that they're going to break off into small groups with like a senior, <clears throat> a senior from East Texas university. who's going to kind of talk to them a little bit about, you know, what to expect and that kind of thing. So they all end up being, you know, selected to go to the same room, which is kind of down in the basement room number 12. And on the way as they, they head down there, some of them notice a security guard who I used Eugene Levy from little known and probably best forgotten, uh, eighties comedy armed and dangerous. You know, it's Eugene Levy and John Candy from SCTV. Not a very good movie. Still, I, I mean, a minor classic in my mind, but probably, you know, the kind of thing that critics savaged, but so I use him as like the, the, um, security guard and they can see him kind of trying to quickly lock a, a private room, um, you know, maintenance type room. And they can see that there are all these, uh, fire extinguishers, you know, piled up in there and then just see him lock the door real quick. So they go into the orientation where they kind of meet each other and do a little chit chat between each other. It was quite funny. And 
Um, the, the senior gives them advice, like to not stand out at East Texas university, you know, to have a herd mentality and it's kind of cryptic like that. And they hear a crashing. Some of them hear a crashing outside and they go outside and again, see the security guard, uh, with this broken camera. And he asks them, you know, did they do this? Did they have anything to do with it? And they all say no. Um, so <clears throat> the music is starting to start upstairs. You know, the party's getting started, you know, uh, there's gonna be free pizza and this band playing. And so I, I play, uh, lover boys, uh, working for the weekend, you know, everybody's working for the weekend. You know, that music starts up, you know, so the party's getting really <laughs> started up there and, um, on their way up to the party, they encounter uh, what are going to be kind of two major NPCs in the in the campaign, and uh, it's a professor and their graduate assistant. And the professor is called uh, Professor um, McLehan or McClanahan, Glenn McClanahan, also known as Glenn Mac for short. And for this professor, I used uh, Donald Sutherland's image from Animal House. You know, like uh, the stoner professor that's talking about having a universe in your fingernail and everything. <laughs> oh boy. <clears throat> and, um, for his graduate assistant, I use, um, uh, what's his name from real genius Val Kilmer. And so Val Kilmer kind of pushes the nerds aside and kisses Barbara St. Clair's hand. And she ends up kind of like liking him at the expense of the others, you know, she and the player that plays her and, uh, the player that plays, the Michael J. Fox inspired character are married in real life. And so being able to kind of pair them against each other where she's calling him a nerd and it's grossed out by him and everything. It was, it was really priceless. It was really funny. But so the, uh, Glenn Mac professor, um, asked them if they saw who broke the camera, it's his camera that he uses it to try to capture an image of a ghost that's supposed to haunt this place. And, you know, they kind of, for a minute, don't, don't know if he's joking or not, you know, talking about ghosts and all this, but apparently he's really serious and they end up going up to the, uh, to the party and everything. First, they see a couple of, uh, custodians going by complaining that they have to try to clean up this, uh, uh, this graffiti. And so they go upstairs a few minutes go by and this really attractive young lady catches Chewinski's eye. And I used, uh, um, what's her name from fast times at Ridgemont high and gremlins. I'm on a blanker name. Oh, come on froth. Where's your brain? Oh, I can't believe I'm blanking her name. Anyway, the female lead from, from, uh, from gremlins and, and, uh, the, the, you know, the girl from the famous pool scene, at fast times of Ridgemont high. How can I not remember her name? Um, anyway, maybe I should look that up. Hold on. Phoebe Cates, Phoebe Cates. I bet there's a lot of listeners being like, God froth. What's wrong with you? How can you forget Phoebe Cates? <laughs> you know? Uh, but <clears throat> so I use the Phoebe Cates avatar. So this girl starts walking up and looking at, at Chewinsky and I cue the music, the fantastic hollow notes hit from 82 man eater. So, She'll only come out at night. You know, she's a man eater. And so she looks at him and kind of, they start flirting with each other and she kind of holds up her finger and asks him to follow her. So of course he falls her down to the basement. And so 
she gets kind of close to him and him and whispers in his ear, "You're all gonna burn." And when she says that, you see her just kind of burst into flames, and the hallway bursts in these like illusion, uh, illusory flames. And just as that happens, you know that all disappears as the professor Glenmack comes up to Chewinsky and is like, "You know, what did you see?" You know. He, the professor explains that he's got this infrared camera in the hall and saw a heat flash. Uh, Chewinski, you know, the blue-toe Belushi character, looks at his arm and he's got this weird kind of burn symbol on his arm. And uh, Bluto promises that he'll come and talk to Glenn Mack about it later for a, bo- you know, a bottle of booze. But anyway, goes back to the party, kind of, you know, not sure what he saw, you know, but the professor had told them earlier that there were rumors of this ghost, this female ghost down in the basement and everything. So when he goes back up to the party, as he gets kind of close to the walls where these symbols, this weird graffiti have been painted, he his arm starts burning. He senses that you know something's going on with him and there's heat coming off the symbols. And he goes to start putting mustard on, to- on top of some of the symbols. And when that happens, the Eugene Levy security guard comes up to stop him you know and it's kind of odd about it and uh, i think at one point he says he wants to cook a hot dog on the <laughs> the blue toe character wants to cook a hot dog on the on the uh the the smoking runes but anyway the runes are getting hotter and hotter the rest of them are noticing it and it looks like you know fires are about to break out so the whole party decides to rush back down they remember that they saw the uh, fire extinguishers and everything and they, they go back in that room where they had seen the security guard come out of earlier. And they see that the custodians have been knocked unconscious and are chained in there. That the sprinkler system has been shut down and locked closed. And, oh, I should, I should mention this. To get in the room, it was locked. But the Matthew Broderick character, Nathaniel, has an edge, you know, just kind of like a feat. Kind of like a special ability called MacGyver, you know. From the classic 80s MacGyver show. And... It allows you to, you know, if you have some chewing gum, a paper clip, and, you know, a washer, you know, you can make just about anything out of it. You know, so they fashion a, a, a key to get in. Anyway, they go in there. They want to try to turn on the sprinkler system. They want to um, uh, get the fire extinguisher and everything. But the security guard, Eugene Levy character, has followed them in there. And this is where we got into our first combat. And this is where... I know the rules, but I could get better at it. And part of it was I was kind of maybe rushing a little bit. Maybe not rushing, but I, I could have made a more conscious effort to slow down. I still think it went well. It wasn't. I, I'm not trying to make it sound like it was disastrous, but I could have slowed down, you know, taken a deep breath for just a minute and, and maybe run it slightly more smoothly. But in essence, everything happens real fast. You know, first, the Eugene Lovey character has a taser and, and tases uh, Chowinski who goes down, you know, shake, you know, shaking. And, uh, the others, uh, Seymour, the nerd tries to hide real awkwardly and behind some of the pipes and, um, um, Nathaniel, the, uh, Matthew Broderick character tries to unlock the sprinkler system, but has a critical fail. So, it just knocks the pipe to where it, it completely breaks the pipe. So water's pouring into the room. Meanwhile, um, Barbara St. Clair, you know, the rich, 
the, you know, the rich kind of stuck up girl pepper sprays Eugene Levy in the face. So he's kind of dazed from that. And then, uh, Matthew McCooley, you know, the McFly type picks up, a um, a, uh, uh, fire extinguisher and bops him in the head a couple times. And so the Eugene Levy character, uh, starts to rush out of the room. Uh, first Chawinski had grabbed him, but then he, you know, he, you know, escaped and runs out of the room, you know, severely wounded. And as he turns the corner, you know, McCooley follows him out to look at the hallway and he sees something that he just can't believe. He sees a gigantic chupacabra appear out of nowhere from invisibility, basically grab the Eugene Levy character and then disappear again. And it's just like in a flash of weirdness. So yeah, being in Texas, it's got these, you know, crazy chupacabras in the setting and, um, you know, the weird crypto zoological, you know, kind of mythical, um, uh, uh, urban legend creature, you know? So with the security guard gone and who knows what happened with the chupacabra, the, the rest of the party, you know, they've broken the sprinkler system, but they all grab the fire extinguishers, run back up to the, where they can hear screaming and everything. Cause the fire, all the doors and everything have been locked. So everybody's locked in the walls are burning and they they go around with the, as best as they can with the fire extinguisher and start, you know, trying to put out the fires. And, uh, before too long, as they're battling the fires, the, the fire department, like kind of kick in the doors and everything and, and bring everybody out. And the, the Seymour nerd character is kind of like passed out or fallen down or when he was hiding, he was, you know, scared or I can't remember exactly why he was, he wasn't unconscious, but anyway, the, the blue toe, you know, Chawinski character picks him up and carries him out of the burning building. And I happened to have, it was so perfect. I happened to have the theme from officer and a gentleman, you know, Joe Cocker love lift us up where we belong. So as he's carrying the nerd out of the burning wreckage, you know, the burning gymnasium, I'm playing the theme from officer and a gentleman, you know, cause he carries her at the end of the movie, <laughs> Richard gear. And it was just, it was perfect. You know, the other thing that the music was great for is if we needed to take a five minute break, I could just like play one of these eighties songs and have that playing while everybody went to whatever, grab a drink or whatever it was. So, so yeah, so the whole, the, the way that it all wrapped up is they were all summoned to the Dean's, um, office the next day. And I again, used the Dean Wormer from animal house. And then there was a cop in there and I used kind of the inept, um, evil cop from police Academy, you know, that's always trying to mess with Mahoney and them. I, I don't know the actor's name, but I, I had the image for him again, just using eighties avatars whenever I can. And, you know, Wormer's like telling the rest of them that they shouldn't be hanging around Chywinski, that he's just trouble and that, uh, you know, he'll be watching them all and everything and that he can't really confirm what happened because there's so many different, um, accounts from eyewitnesses, but that he knows that they were somehow involved and, and that he's going to get to the bottom of it. Uh, meanwhile, the professor Glenn Mack comes in and, 
and explains that they were actually, you know, heroes of it and, and, uh, and everything and tries to help them a little bit. And that's kind of how it ended. And so what's going to happen now is, you know, I think this will be interesting for them to, the players to kind of get used to because it's not going to start up the next day with what they do. It's going to kind of fast skip in time. Like I was mentioned before about the pacing. So this is kind of an episode and then there's going to be school and other stuff happening before it comes back. So it's not, I think that some of them are already like, okay, well I'm going to do this tomorrow or, you know, okay, we'll go over here. And it's not going to really work that way. It's going to be each session is kind of its own enclosed thing that'll jump to something else. So getting used to that kind of movie pacing, I think will be interesting. Um, but the music and stuff work great. Um, one thing you do in this game is you pick an extracurricular activity, something that your character is involved in that can lead to good role play moments and everything. And so some of them like blue to, you know, Charwinski and, and Barbara St. Clair are going to be pledging sororities and fraternities. Um, Matthew McCooley, you know, you remember McFly playing the guitar, uh, throughout, um, back to the future is going to start a band. Uh, the, the nerd Seymour is going to, um, um, it, it's going to be like a teacher's assistant. Um, let's see. Uh, I think, uh, yeah. Nathaniel's going to work in a computer lab and then, uh, Billy, the little 11 year old, he's going to focus on physical fitness. You know, he's so scrawny and tiny. He's going to, you know, try to work out and everything and get in better shape. So those are kind of the kind of things that are happening in the background. You know, and those all give you a little mechanical benefit. So it's got kind of like stuff that helps with interludes or in between periods of time, things that the players are assumed to be doing while that's going on. So, um, you know, the frustrating thing, this is, I hate this, but I just found this out this morning. They've announced the time for the Georgia game next week and we're playing Missouri at night. And I can't believe we're doing this. Not that Missouri's awful, but they're not very good this year, and so I would have imagined this would have been an early game. Instead, it's a 7 o'clock game, so I just can't miss a Georgia game. The season is so short, and there's so much on the line. I'm just a huge Bulldogs fan, so already we're going to have to just not have a session next week, which I hate, um, but I, I don't want to miss the dogs. You know, maybe, I don't know, I don't know. I just can't miss the dogs, you know what I mean? So I'm going to have to email them about that. Now, to show you how fast you level up in this, um, you get little advancements, like four advancement per quote-unquote level. Like So as a freshman, they'll get four advances. And these are kind of, you know, kind of minor ways you improve skills, stats, or, or gain another feat edge type deal. And so even after just this one session, they're already going to get an advance. You know, so it's really, really going to be quick. And so I have a lot of work in front of me as far as uh, I need to send them, you know, lists of the different things that they can do and, and help those that don't want to, you know, maybe don't understand the rules, you know, rightly so. They, they wouldn't understand the rules that, that much to make great choices. Maybe right, right this second I can help them with their choice of it, their first advance. The other thing I noticed, things to work on. I can really wing some monsters in D and D with just a piece of paper. You know, I'm going to just write down AC, Thacko, movement, 
and uh and, and maybe damage or something and, and and then just track hit points it's a little bit different with this you know because there are some effects that'll last till the end of the next turn and, and and this that and the other and so while i had built out their characters using the character sheet i didn't bother with any of the npcs or enemies doing that i was just going to you know wing it with paper and and, and pencil i'm going to have to put those into the system it'll just make it easier on me in the long run so kind of a double-edged sword maybe not being able to play next week but it'll also give me time to go ahead and put some of the uh you know major npcs and creatures or whatever else into the system so that it's easier on me when i'm actually running it uh the other thing i already just mentioned is maybe just slowing down a little bit when i get to combat not being you know too excited to you know so excited that i may miss something but as one of my players is experienced with the game uh said it's a pretty forgiving system so i don't think any of it was really noticeable to most of the players and it, and it wasn't like a, a disaster like i said it's just you know when you're trying to reflect and always get better i think uh slowing down a little bit in the combat being cognizant of everything kind of going through it in my mind a little bit and then also making it easier on myself with some ahead of time prep will help that all said at the end of the session, I just felt really good. There was all kinds of hilarious moments. Uh, the characters really, the players did a great job role-playing their characters. So it was really funny and they really brought it to life. It had that cinematic quality that I wanted. It had a lot of, you know, comedy elements. It jumped around. It had the, the music going on. And, um, and, and so I think everybody had a good time. In fact, uh, one of the players emailed me later that they had a really good time. It was a really nice email to get, you know, made you feel like, okay, uh, so I'm glad someone else enjoyed it. So, so anyway, I hope you enjoyed listening to me talk about it. I'm very, very excited, uh, to keep going with this and see where it goes. Um, I felt like it was a perfect kind of tone setting first session. It really set up the characters and, um, as we go forward, I know that they'll be learning more about the rules, same as me. And, uh, you know, um, we'll see where the story takes us. So anyway, I appreciate you listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, appreciate folks backing me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash thought eater. Only a dollar a month if you want to support the program and the blog and all that. So thank you all for the support. Next, you will hear from me, of course, is the hump day blogorama. So that'll be the next thing you hear. If you haven't checked out last week's, you know, a lot of good stuff on there. If you haven't had time to catch up, check that out. Also, like I mentioned before, that uh, GM Share the Greatest Weakness episode from Friday uh, has some really interesting stuff on there if you haven't listened to it yet. I feel like I'm forgetting something, but I always feel that way. So I'll just leave it there. Thanks again. Logan, let's go. Sickly platypus, a psychic grenade. Zeroing in on your mental trade. Gonna help you escape from the grind. Thought eater gonna blow your mind. Boom, boom, boom.